Christmas Sunday and Easter Sunday, this is when people go to church that don't usually go to church. But the, even the people who go to church really like going to church on those days. There's a certain sense of anticipation, a certain sense of something is different about this day. That's actually the opening question, I believe, that Jewish families ask at the beginning of Seder, right? What's different about this day than all others? We're going to be observing Jesus' interpretation of the Passover meal at the end of this service. Everything we're going to read is hopefully going to be a challenge to us, an encouragement to us that if we're willing to participate with Christ and what he's about, if we're willing to be inspired by him to be like him, then let's take of the bread, take of the juice, take of the wine and bread, the way he did, accept his mandate to carry on his work in the world. But what's different about this day than all others? Well, historians don't think that Jesus was actually born on December 24th, so maybe nothing's different about this day. But we're going to celebrate on this day the incarnation. The incarnation. That should be inspiring. Everybody here likes superhero movies, right? You know, this deity slash un defeatable person with all these powers and abilities shows up and changes the world, and it's inspiring. This happened. I think this still happens. God still enters in to make a difference. And whether it's small differences, maybe, like Michaela shared about singing a Christmas carol at someone's door and having them say, I was just on my knees today praying for a sign or whether it's someone who's on death's door and prayer just changes that and they get up and walk out. God still steps in and I would like us, if at all possible, even having heard this Christmas story so, so, so many times to be inspired by it this morning. I actually personally have found a new perspective, a new like rejuvenation of my inspiration in Christ, in his youth, by digging into scripture last couple of weeks leading up to this sermon. I can't wait to dig into it together. I can't wait to share with you these little kernels of beauty and power that are in this book. And so I'd like to start by reading something that hopefully is familiar, Luke chapter 2. For those of you that may never have read the entire Christmas story, you'll get to hear it today. For those of you that have heard things about Jesus when he was a boy or legends or fables or myths that come from outside of scripture, will you get to hear for yourself what does the Bible have to say about Jesus as a child? In the last two weeks, we focused on Joseph and Mary being inspired as Christian fathers, being inspired as Christian mothers, inspired as people of God. I hope that Jesus himself will inspire us today, even in his youth, before John the Baptist, before his ministry, just to recognize something about who God was in human form and who we're called to be as well. So if you have a Bible and you want to open, great. If you want to just listen, that's fine. We're reading Luke chapter 2. And um, if you have it on your phone or what have you, feel free to follow along if you'd like. I'm in the English Standard Translation, but feel free to follow in whatever you have as well. And in a way, I'm looking at this chapter as sort of like building to the very last verse. So listen like a little bit as I start, and then listen a little closer as I get in the middle, and then really pay attention to the last sentence 
or actually you could sleep all the way to the end, but don't miss the last sentence. That's the point. That's the phrase, the verse, the sentence that for me has really been eye-opening. Me who grew up in a Christian home, me whose father was a pastor, me who like has known this, there's something in here that just inspired me in a way that I never really grasped before, something I never knew before, and I hope it'll be the same for you. Please be inspired by what God did. This is a historical account of an amazing once-in-a-universe occurrence. Luke chapter 2, verse 1. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. So all went to be registered, each to his own hometown. Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. While they were there, the time came for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling cloths, and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. Now in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. So when the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one of Let's go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that's happened, which the Lord has made known to us. They went with haste, and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. When they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning the child, and all who heard it wondered. At what the shepherds told them. But Mary, Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. So at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves to two young pigeons. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. Now, this man was righteous and he was devout and he was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was upon him and it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. He came in the spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. His father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and the rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that the thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. And there was a prophetess, Anna, 
the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak to him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. Now, when they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee, to their own town of Nazareth. Catch this. It's not the last verse, but it's close. And the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. Now, his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover, the Old Covenant. And when he was 12 years old, they went up according to the custom. Now, when the feast had ended, as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents did not know it. But they supposed, or supposing him to be in the group, they went a day's journey. And then they began to search for him among their relatives and acquaintances. And when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem searching for him. And then after three days, they found him in the temple sitting among the teachers, listening to them, asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. And he said to them, Why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? They did not understand the saying that he spoke to them. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. Last verse. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with both God and man. And Jesus grew. He grew in his wisdom. He grew in his stature. He grew in favor with God and grew in favor with man. When I was thinking of all the statements that are made about Jesus as a child, this one came to my mind first. And I thought, how inspiring it is to think that Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. What if we could learn from his example? What if we were the kind of people like him, that desired to grow in our wisdom, desired to grow up, stature, physically, just grow up, mature. What if we desired, what if we wanted to be like that and grow in God's favor? What if we wanted to grow in the favor of the people around us? That verse just kept coming back to me and back to me. It's kind of like the, the phrase that's been coined somewhat recently, having a growth mindset. You're just like always perpetually wanting to learn and grow. You're not settling. You're not done. You're not finished. And so I started into this message thinking, if there's nothing else that we could take from it, what if we could be inspired to want more wisdom tomorrow than we've got today? Just like Jesus. What if we could be inspired by Jesus' example to grow up physically, to mature, to grow older in this life? the way Jesus did. What if instead of settling for whatever we know about God's grace, we desired to grow in grace? And what if instead of saying to the world, this is who we are, take us or leave us, what if we pursued the world to grow in their favor, to show them God's love the way Jesus did? And that thought just kept 
sticking with me. What a great people we would be in this world if we just desired to always be growing and never give up. Because a lot of times we just feel totally satisfied. We got enough wisdom. We're figuring it out as we go along. I'm growing at whatever rate I'm going to grow, so I'll be older tomorrow than I am today, and that's just going to take care of itself. God extended me grace with Jesus on the cross, so what more grace could he ever give me? What more favor could he ever show me? Done. Check, check, check. You know, people never want to hear about the gospel, so the world's going to constantly reject us, so don't worry about whether the world around us is drawn to us. Just believe what you believe. Go along doing what you're... You hear how futile that sounds? It's almost like there's no point to your life if it's already said and done and it's as good as it's going to get. But that's not actually what Jesus did. Now, if there's anyone in all of history that wouldn't have had to grow in a single thing, it should be Jesus, God in human form. And even he grew and increased... What should that mean for us who are born sinful and need God to forgive us so that we can mature in our faith? So that's where my heart took me as I wanted to preach to you this morning. And then God said, I got something else for you here. I was doing some research, looking into the actual words used in this verse 52. Guess what the word grow means? That word increased, Jesus grew, Jesus... It's actually a compound word, pro-copto. Pro means to go forward, and copto means to cut. To cut forward. To see things in your way and to chop them down and to make progress. Logging. Think forest. Think Ray Bartlett in his backyard. Chopping trees and clearing brush. Think an army coming through and all the engineers ahead of them paving the way. Think trailblazer going in uncharted territory, cutting forward, making progress despite all the obstacles in their way. A pioneer, someone who goes where no man has ever gone before, to quote the famous Star Trek, right? What does that do to inspire our understanding of Jesus? He didn't just sit down and wait for God to show up more in him as he grew. He cut away all the obstacles in his path and increased in his wisdom. That means the same obstacles to our wisdom were there for him, and he fought through them. He cut forward in his faith, in his life as he was growing. He didn't just wait for it to happen to him. Jesus never, ever, ever, ever was a passive God waiting for the good stuff to show up. Jesus never, ever, ever, ever said, I'll sit here in the temple, bring me the poor, the weak, the brokenhearted, and if they can get an appointment, I'll see them. He cut forward against all the mockers, against everything, and went out to where the people were, cut through all the religious red tape, says, I love people, I'm going to fight my way there. His temptation, I'm going to fight through the temptation to make angels carry me, fight through the temptation to take over the world as a king. Same obstacles that we all have, obstacles that are our ambition, obstacles for us to be well thought of, obstacles for us to make a lot of money, obstacles for us to be self-centered. These are all the same. He cut through them. That's why he increased in all those things. 
Now that's inspiring to me. Not just a baby who shows up like that image that was on the wall before. Kind of the light comes down. The angel's saying, whoa, there's a baby. He's perfect. Everything comes easy to him. The world's a piece of cake. He just shows up. He walks on water. No, Procopto. Jesus increased against all odds. He fought forward to gain and progress and trailblaze in areas of wisdom. And even physically in his life to live and in areas of favor with God and with man. Now that's the kind of Jesus that can inspire me. And I hope that's the kind of Jesus that can inspire you as well. Because maybe we're waiting for God to solve our problems. Maybe we're waiting for all of our doubts to go away. Maybe we're waiting for everything to kind of work out. And maybe we look at Jesus and say, yeah, but he had it easy. He was God, so he could do whatever, he knew everything. Well, then why does it say that he grew? And not just passive, kind of like showed up, but fought for it. Now, the reason this word is exactly how I'm describing it to you, the meaning of it, and why I know that I'm not kind of giving it more meaning than this passage warrants, is because, do you remember back in verse 40? I said, this is a hint. It's not exactly the last verse, but it's like it. Verse 40, the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. The word grow here is the normal one. The Greek word for that is oxano. It just means he grew up. He was a kid, and he was this high. His parents made a little notch on the door, doorpost. And then six months later, he stood up with his back against the doorpost again, and Joseph, with his carpenter's pencil, made a little taller notch. That wasn't miraculous. He's just a kid, and he grew up. We do that. And that's what, Joseph, or what um, Luke is talking about in verse 4. Jesus grew. Oxano. He just grew up. He toddled, and then he spoke and then, you know, he drank milk, then he ate solid food, and then he learned, he just grew up. So if that's the word that Luke uses as he's writing this history, then it should be the same word in verse 52, Oxano. Jesus kind of just like got a little bit better over time, naturally, gaining a little bit of wisdom and getting a little bit taller. Maybe like some of us, maybe he got a little wider. Maybe he got a little bit more favor naturally. You know, the Oxano kind of... We'll get there one day. Everybody, you know, walks the same path. No, that's not the word that Luke, the historian, the doctor, the educated man who has full grasp of this language, that's not the word. That's not his intended meaning. Jesus cut forward against all the obstacles blocking his wisdom, blocking his growth, blocking his favor with God and man. And so I thought for this morning, what I would like to do is to suggest to you what some of those obstacles may be in our lives and to challenge you to be like Jesus and to cut them, to fight for them. Now, it's God who works in us, but it's also him who gives us strength to empower us to fight as well. So it's a cooperative effort. I'm not saying earn your way to heaven. I'm not saying if you work really hard, everything's going to work out. But I am saying don't sit down and wait for God to just do everything miraculously because even Jesus didn't operate that way. So what are some of the obstacles to our wisdom? I have three things for wisdom, three for we'll go through stature, we'll go through favor. I want to trigger your thoughts. I've taken, I've been blessed to have a week to kind of like stew on these things and think of them. I've been applying them to my life. I want to hand this off 
beautiful little thought I want to give to you this morning. Please take it. Identify with it, what it looks like for you. I think one of the biggest obstacles for us in wisdom is our opinions. Opinions block wisdom. I think this, you think that. Well, what's wisdom? Wisdom means knowing enough of the real situation, like how God sees it from the 10,000-foot view, to know what's ahead. Our opinion is, oh, I think this is a good idea. I think this is a good idea. We love to argue about our opinions. Opinions are not wisdom. Wisdom is wisdom. And I think in our culture that loves to spout opinions without even needing to have any sort of facts to back them up, and even when there are facts to back them up, they just become competing opinions, we end up kind of latching onto the opinions that we like best versus searching for wisdom. What if in the next political debate that you have, where the person across the table from you is saying, yeah, but what about this? And you're saying, yeah, what about this? If you said, let's just stop for a second. What would wisdom say in this situation? Right? It's almost not even part of the conversation. Why are we searching for wisdom? We're talking about politics. Why are we searching for wisdom? We're talking about marriage. Why are we searching for wisdom? We're talking about kids. You know how kids are. Like, we don't even sort of search for it because we have our opinions and we live by them. How many of us hold exactly the same opinions we do today that we did two years ago or five or 10 or 50? No hands go up because our opinions change. Our opinions are based on what we know at the time. God's wisdom is not based on anything that is knowable in a moment. It's based on truth. So our opinions will block our wisdom. So I challenge you to ask yourself, what is the weighing, the, weighing, the scale, the measurement of your opinions versus your wisdom? How heavily do you weigh one or the other? This ties right into the second thing. Another block for us, one of those obstacles that we have to pro-copto, that we've got to cut through if we want to get wisdom an obstacle to that is a lack of scripture, a lack of knowledge about what the Bible actually says. If I were to flip open to Proverbs, an entire collection of God's wisdom, and read one, let's see if we can find one. All right, trying to randomly pick one that's not just talking about adultery, which feels like we should know that. I don't think you need wisdom to know that that's a bad idea, but the Bible talks a lot about our sexuality and purity, so there's a bunch of those. All right, how about this one? Proverbs 15, 25. The Lord tears down the house of the proud, but maintains the widow's boundaries. The Lord tears down the house of the proud, but maintains the widow's boundaries. What if that thought was so deeply embedded in us that when we felt our own pride, as we looked around at our house, at our job, at our clothes, we looked and sort of puffed out our chest and were like, man, I've made something of myself. What if we got afraid when we felt that thought creeping up? Because we know that God can tear down any of our pride in any moment Because it's not about what we've done for ourselves. We're blessed. It's about what he's done for us to get us to that point. And what if we were the widow? We said, I've got nothing. I've got nothing. And then we remembered, God protects the widow's boundaries. And we took heart. 
We would be gaining wisdom. Instead of being tempted to pride, look at my bank accounts, look at my possessions, we'd stay humble, which is wise. And instead of being tempted to be so afraid, we'd feel secure and safe, which is wise. But you'd have to know scripture to have that in your head, to think that way, because logically, if you look at having a lot of stuff, you feel good about yourself. And if you look at having nothing, you feel bad about yourself. But we're not talking about opinions, and we're not talking about logic. We're talking about wisdom. The more you know of Scripture, the wiser it will be because you'll see things from God's perspective. So it's a real block. You know how often Jesus quotes Scripture? All the time. Not just in his temptation and not just in the sermon. Not all the time. On the cross, he's quoting Psalms. All the time. So he pro-copto, he cut forward, removed the obstacle of lack of knowledge of all these things because he wanted to absorb it, he wanted to own it. Second one. Here's the third obstacle to wisdom. Your friends. Your friends can be a real obstacle to wisdom. One, if they're not godly, so they're giving just worldly advice. They may mean well, but they may not be wise. Another, if those friends are actually begging you or tempting you or like leading you into a direction where you'll find yourself sinning, so that's not going to lead to wisdom. But even so, the ones that just agree with you and make you feel good about your bad decisions. Oh, yeah, you're right. You totally should have said that to him. Oh, you're right. Yeah, yeah, she was so wrong. Is it wisdom, or is it a friend just kind of pumping you up to make you feel better? Our friends can lead us away from wisdom fast. Think about your friends. Do they bring wisdom into your life? Or are they an obstacle that needs to in some way be cut through, navigated, trailblazed through, so that our friends don't become something that stops us from increasing and growing and progressing to become more and more wise? A foolish old person is like something that need never happen. It's like such a lost potential. An entire life of seeing and experiencing and gaining wisdom and to still be foolish after all that time feels like, oh, What will it take to gain wisdom? But that person is walking through the same trees that we all are. To be inspired by Christ is to say, are we cutting them out of our way so that we're progressing? Are we stuck in the same brambles that we were when we started? All right, so Jesus grew in wisdom. In all these things, he progressed. Prokopto, he cut forward. We should as well. Wisdom and stature. All right, well, what does it take to grow up as a person? What's an obstacle to growing up? Almost feels like that's one of those things that's naturally going to happen. Stature here doesn't mean reputation, just means physically, like height, largeness. That's what the word means, just getting bigger. Well, how about laziness as an obstacle to growth? Ever seen anybody get stronger by just sitting on the couch all the time? A lot of Proverbs, a lot of wisdom about people with good work ethic. And God blessing that, him making us to do stuff. That's why we have hands and feet, to do stuff. There's wisdom in that. How many of us are in the lazy mode? Because our world lets us, right? We can take out our phone, know anything, ask anything, talk to anyone, do it. We don't have to move. A lot of our jobs are sitting at a chair and a desk somewhere. Don't have. Jesus had all those same temptations. Obstacle to growing. Are we lazy? Is that holding us back? What could we do if we actually did something? 
How about neglect of our bodies? How many of us don't eat right? How many of us abuse substances? How many of us don't get sleep? How many of us just abuse this body and then wonder why we're sick? And then maybe we take more medications to help for the things that we could just be doing healthily, right? Those are obstacles. Have you ever had a time where because you were physically, call it unhealthy in some way, you were depressed emotionally because it's all connected? But it wasn't because anything in particular was going wrong. You just felt bad. Either feel sluggish or just feel discouraged. It's an obstacle. How likely are we when we're in that kind of discouraged, depressed place? Like, you know, I should write an encouragement card to that person. Oh, I think I'm going to give a call to this one who just got out of the hospital. See how they're doing. Oh, kids, I love you so much. That doesn't usually come out of the mouth of the person who's in that dark place. But what if that dark place is because we're not taking care of the bodies that God has given us? There's all sorts of reasons we can go into discouragement and depression, but Jesus, whatever obstacles were in front of him, he cut them down. I challenge you to think about yourselves as creatures that God has made. Just as much as seek wisdom, seek health, seek life. Live. Live vibrant lives. I guess the third one that came to my mind for growing in stature, things that we might need to cut out of our lives in some way, cut forward into entertainment. Because entertainment is exciting but useless. It feels good, but it does nothing. It like makes us happy momentarily, but it gets us nowhere. So how many more sporting events can we watch? How many more movies can we watch? I almost think it's a blessing in disguise that we're so inundated with the Netflix and the movies and whatever. It's almost sort of like, ah, come on, enough. I hope that we'll all get to that healthy level of, just get this away from me, too much. Living for our entertainment will not have us growing in stature and health and vitality in the world. It is an obstacle. And if we live for our entertainment, it'll be like that book. I can't remember the author right now. It was recommended to me years ago. I think Peter Rice recommended this book to me. So that, for those of you who know him, is way back. The title is Entertaining Ourselves to Death. Great title. Don't need to read the book. Just read the title. You got it, right? Entertaining Ourselves to Death. Let's not be that way. Think about Jesus who didn't look for the things that were pleasurable for him or entertaining or fun. Like He mattered. Can we be inspired by that to cut forward through all of our tempting little entertainments to say, are we going to matter? All right, how about if we move from wisdom and stature to favor with God? Can you get more favor with God? Can you increase in that? Well, yeah, you can because Jesus did. The Bible says so. So what does that mean? It doesn't mean that you can get more saved. Like more grace as if now your soul is like a better saved version of you. It means God's blessing, God's favor, God's smile, God's reward, God extending grace in more and more and more situations. If I were to think about what would block us from that, and I think we'd probably all want that, want to have God's favor more and more and more and experience it more and more and more, I think a real obstacle to that is our doubt, whether he's even there, whether he will show up when we need it, whether any of this Bible actually happened, 
whether we can trust it or live by it, whether there's any wisdom in there to be gained, that doubt just cuts the legs right out from under us. Instead, what if we try believing first and then see what happens? To say, okay, I see all these logical things. I'm not going to live by sight. I'm going to live by faith. Let's see what God does. You want to grow in God's grace? You want to see his favor? You want to step out in faith. Pray and walk. Probably the biggest obstacle to growing God's grace is our unforgiveness. The Lord's Prayer, the thing Jesus said to his disciples, pray this all the time. I hope you pray that Lord's Prayer every day, making those words your own. It says, Father, forgive us our sins in the same way that we forgive others who sin against us. So the question is, how good are you at forgiving? And is that the amount of forgiveness that then you would expect from God? Unforgiveness is a huge block. How can we have one side of our mouth say, I love you, God, and then over this side of, the ho- of our mouth hold a grudge? It's just incompatible. I think it's James that says, out of the same mouth can salt water and fresh water, the same spring, curses and praises. No, 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 no. You want to see God's favor and his grace expand? You've got to cut through those areas of unforgiveness. You've got to cut ahead. Don't just sit and wait for you to feel more forgiving towards someone. Fight for it. If Jesus had to cut his way through the same maze of trees, you can too because he's in you. He's leading. He's trailblazing. He's cutting ahead and saying, come after me. I can make it easier. Go this way. Please forgive. Forgive to the extent that you've been forgiven. Same thing for me. I need to forgive to the extent that I've been forgiven. Unforgiveness. Unforgiveness. Doubt and guilt. How big of a tree is guilt in our forest? It's a big one. We know where we've been. We know what we've done. We know what we've said. We know what we've thought. We've been there on the inside looking out the entire time. We think, how could God forgive me? I feel so guilty. Well, the minute you come to Jesus and say, will your sacrifice, forgive me, you are no longer guilty of those things. Not guilty anymore. I I sometimes take a little bit of, not offense, but I take, the right word is umbrage. I take umbrage against the phrase, we're sinners saved by grace. Not because of the concept, but because of the word are. Make it were, and I'm with you. Make it were, and I'm with you, 100%. Sinners saved by grace, right, because that's what I was. But I've been forgiven. I'm not guilty anymore of those things. I should be, still did them, but I've been forgiven, and I can't be un-unforgiven or unforgiven. I just am forgiven. I'm no longer guilty. I'm not, in that present sense, a sinner saved by grace. I'm, I'm a grace-filled, redeemed person that didn't deserve it because I was just a sinner. But if we carry our guilt around, we're never going to live in joy. If we carry our guilt around, we're never going to expect God's promises. If we carry our guilt around, we're denying the fact that Jesus actually accomplished anything on the cross. If we carry our guilt around, we're going to be those religious people that see their religion as sort of like, well, I know i got to do enough right to make up for all the bad that I've done. That's not the gospel. The gospel is, for God so loved the world that he sent his only son that whoever would believe in him would be forgiven. 
period, would have eternal life. So guilt is just a tree. Cut that thing down. Cut forward through the guilt. Push on. Don't just wait for it to happen. Be like Jesus. Progress in it. Fight forward. All right, favor with God. How about favor with man? What are some more of these trees? We've got lots of trees today, right? 12, 12 trees. 12 trees we're looking at. And I hope your axes are sharp, and I hope you'll fight this upcoming year inspired by Jesus himself. What would block our favor with the people around us? Favor with mankind. How about a bad reputation? People know that we're the people in town that call themselves Christians that also fill in the blank. Drink too much at the Christmas party. Whatever. Berate our children and belittle them in public. Whatever. Our reputation is an obstacle to us getting anywhere, but our reputation is based on things that can all change. Behaviors, attitudes, things we turn over to God, ask for forgiveness for, are freed from, and move on past just more trees. Cut forward through the reputation that you may have built. And it's a reputation of being like Jesus in this world. How about another obstacle to favor with the people around us? Irrelevance. What if we're just irrelevant to the world? Those nice Christians have their nice little club and they go once a week and they pay their dues and they sing their songs and they know all the secret handshakes and all the Christian phrases, but it doesn't actually matter to anyone except for them. It's nice that they have that. I'm glad they have that. I hope that they're happy with what they've found that makes them happy. But it doesn't matter to me, for my life, for my career, for my children, for my hope, for my depression, for my finances, for my ambitions, for my country, for my community, for my poverty, for my abuse. It just doesn't matter. I'm glad they found something that makes them happy. In that case, Christianity is no better than Netflix. It's just another form of entertainment that makes you happy for a little while and is irrelevant. Someone tells you about a great show they watched or movie. If you're not into that genre, you don't care. Okay, great. That was great. I'm glad you like it. I'm not going to watch that. I have no interest in watching that. That's how people feel about Christianity. But Jesus, when people saw him, he increased in favor. Yeah, people hated him for what he stood for, but think of all the people that loved him and what he stood for. That favor grew. The more you saw this guy, the more you heard this guy, the more your amazement for him grew. Because he wasn't like anything anybody had ever seen. And guess what? He wasn't in his club waiting for people to show up. He was out in the street living it out. Irrelevant should never be a word used about Jesus' people. All he was was the man of the hour for the entire world. Still is. It means we are. We're his apprentices. All right, so we've got our poor reputation, our irrelevance, huge obstacles and maybe the last of our 12 trees, I want to challenge you to chop through self-centeredness. Just being about you. How much of our budget in our home is just about us? How much of our time during our week is just for us? I feel convicted about that in the church here. How many of our ministries are just for us? How much of our budget is just for us? 
Let's get out the axe to our budget and to our ministries and to our time, and let's not be about us. Let's not be the mission, with the whole goal being to be satisfied, to be made happy, to be made better. If Jesus did his job, we're better. If we did our job and believed, we're on a mission. And so then what does that look like? Well, if we feel like we're on a mission, if we're the missionaries to the world around us, and if we're not the mission, that's really going to increase God's grace and his favor in the eyes of the people that we love. That, again, go back to that story Michaela shared of their missional community. There's going to someone's door and sing a Christmas carol. They easily could have, and maybe they were at another door, just brushed away. No, thank you. No, thank you. That's not my religion or I'm not interested. Okay, fine. But for the one person who was waiting for God to show up at their doorstep that night, they were the hands and feet of Christ. That's enough. That's enough. To be in the world, spreading God's grace, spreading his favor, spreading his renown, spreading his influence, to be influencers instead of just to be influenced. And all these trees, they just get really tightly packed around us, and we find ourselves like standing like this, and we can't breathe, and we're not going anywhere, and every day is the same as the last, and we have no hope. There's no light at the end of the tunnel. There's no movement. There's no progression. There's no growth mindset. There's no cutting forward. We just sort of put up our hands. Like, well, I, I've carved out a nice little niche in this forest of this world. I have like a happy enough place. I can, I can survive here. It's fairly safe, it's fairly secure, it's fairly sheltered, it's fairly big enough. But what about anything beyond that? What if there's more? What if we went into the world the way God came into the world and trailblazed? That's what Christmas is about. It's a missional story. The word prokopto is basically... A synonym for missional. We're going to cut forward. And we're going to cut forward against the obstacles. We're not just going to take the easy way out. We're not just going to sit down and wait. We're not going to expect Oxano kind of growth. We're not going to expect things to just happen to us. We're going to accept that grace from Christ and start cutting with it. The sword of the Spirit, right? We're just going to chop forward against the obstacles. Think about the obstacles Let's, let's name a few of them. Think about the obstacle that racism is in our country. Who's going to start chopping there? Anybody here in this room going to start chopping or continue chopping against those? Or are we just going to leave them up and be like, I've carved out enough of a safe spot that it doesn't particularly impact me. And there might be someone on the other side of the street, but I can't see them, so it's not my problem. It's not what Jesus said. It's not what he did. He didn't just wait for the trees to thin. He moved out. He blazed a trail. Who here is going to start Procopto cutting forward against greed in their own life and in the lives of the people around them? Greed is this supercharged mentality in our culture and everything from the day we're born to the day we die. It's just like being pushed on us and running rampant. What if we fought against that? What if we gave away more of our money than we kept? What if we lived below our means? What if we took a pay cut at work so that we could serve at a soup kitchen? What does it look like to not be fueled by greed? 
I'm not even sure we have so many great examples to even know what that could look like. Be the example the way Christ was. Procopto, it's missional. Influence the world. Because ultimately, if it's not about us, we should be caring more about the people stuck in the trees next to us than the trees that are in our way. Jesus didn't have any trees in his way in heaven. He like parachuted down into the middle of the forest. And he started cutting on others' behalf. Will you cut on behalf of your children? Will you cut forward on behalf of the people that are struggling with substance abuse? Will you cut forward on behalf of the people struggling with depression? Will you cut forward on behalf of the struggling marriages around you? Will you cut forward on behalf of people that you don't know, but you come into contact with and you just recognize there's a person stuck in the trees? Jesus would go to that person and start cutting for them to show them a way out. Procopto. It's what we're meant to be. It's what we're here for. It's what Jesus was here for. So this is how I'd like us to bring this home, drive this home. I'd like to ask the music team, maybe, Devin, you can come up and, and just start playing some background music for us. Um, maybe someone in the back, maybe Sarah, would you mind letting the Sunday school classes know we're going to finish up, and whenever they're ready, they can come join us for a communion and for a song. Jesus said, whenever you do this, you do this in remembrance of me. This is my new covenant. This used to be about delivery out of Egypt. Now this is delivery out of sin, delivery out of the trees. I would like to challenge each person here, if you're willing to accept that mandate to be a lumberjack, to be a trailblazer, then you should take communion because that is, in effect, what this is about. It is an acceptance. You know, the ushers are going to hand you the cup. Don't see usher. See Jesus. Jim and Carolyn, you're going to be Jesus. All right? They're Jesus. Look at them. Don't see Jim. Don't see Carolyn. See Jesus. He's giving you an opportunity to take and actually take into yourself. That's the beauty of a food kind of symbol. Like, bring into yourself so that you live out exactly what he did. Procopto, bread. Hopto, juice, missional, trailblazer. This has just mattered to me this Christmas season, thinking of Jesus in this way, taking him out of kind of like the lazy boy. <laughs> like, hey, he's Jesus. How hard could it be? And just thinking of him as fighting for it. Through God's power and his grace, I want us to fight for it as well.